about half an hour, so I don't think I'll be able to cover everything that I plan to cover tonight, but I'll do my best, and maybe I can do it on another occasion and finish up what I wanted to say to us. But let's pray before we come to the Word again. You've read your, your church diary for January. You'll, you'll see this series we're starting now has a very catchy, snazzy title. Has anyone actually read it? I need to remind myself, actually. So if you look on Sunday the 27th, it's this. Marvellous Messiah who demands, who deserves demanding attention. Discipleship. Sorry, I'm getting mixed up. Marvellous Messiah who deserves demanding discipleship. And no prizes for guessing who fought that title up. It's our beloved Pastor Phil, who's very good at these uh, alliterative um, titles. But this, this series we're coming into now is all about the Messiah, our Lord Jesus. Marvellous Messiah who demand, deserves demanding discipleship. Today we, we read, um, we've read about two desperate men who came before Jesus during his earthly ministry, which we spoke of this morning, and asked for his help. When I say asked for his help, they, they really cried out for his help from the bottom of their beings. So the first man we read about is this leper. So Matthew 8, Jesus comes down from the mountainside, having taught this famous Sermon on the Mount, and this man comes before him. Now this account is mentioned in Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, and Luke's Gospel, the Synoptic Gospels. Um, Matthew gives slightly less detail than some of the other Gospels. But Luke's account of of this story tells us this man was full of leprosy. Matthew doesn't say that, he just says a man with leprosy. Luke says he was full of leprosy. In other words, that disease, that awful disease, was in its advanced stages. He, he, wasn't just a, you know, he hadn't just recently contracted it, it was, it was really developed in him. And I want to consider this evening, in this brief time we have together, how that disease would have affected that man and harmed that man. And I've got... Three, three points to give you, which um, all begin with the same letter. I'm learning to be a preacher and do things with the same letter. And uh, this leprosy, this disease, affected this leper, this man, in the following ways. Number one, it was painful, to say the least. Number two, it was polluting. And number three, it was permanent. Let's think about the obvious one, first of all. Now... You might be thinking to yourself, well, leprosy is very remote from my experience. Now, I think there's some, there's, there are millions of lepers in the world today, people who suffer from leprosy. My old church, we used to support a leprosy mission, a Christian mission that would reach out to try and help lepers. And leprosy today can actually be, be treated using modern medicine. But in the days of Jesus, it was a terrible affliction and it was untreatable. But leprosy was such a painful disease. It ravaged a person's body. If you want to read about the effects of leprosy, go online, Google it, and find out about what leprosy does to a human, to the body. Or go to to Google Images and look at images of people who suffer from leprosy. It really is, and I mean it's with all respect and love and compassion, a really grotesque sight to see. There's nothing pleasant about leprosy at all. Leprosy ruins a person. It degenerates them. It destroys them from within. 
And this man had experienced that probably for some time. He probably lived a life of abject misery and constant suffering. I don't need to say too much about that. It was a painful, horrible physical condition. But it got worse because leprosy was not just painful to the body. It was also polluting. It was defiling. Leprosy was probably the worst affliction a person could have at the time of Jesus. People saw it as a curse from God. Indeed, if you look in the Old Testament, for example, in Deuteronomy 28, skin diseases, a whole range of skin diseases were part of the curse, part of the, the, um, the promises that God gave for disobedience to the people of Israel. If you disobey my covenant and break the conditions of that covenant, you will be afflicted with various diseases amongst a whole panoply of other unpleasant judgments. In the time of Jesus, lepers were outcasts. They lived outside the towns. They had to keep away from others as the law of Moses commanded. You read Leviticus chapter 13, chapters 13 and 14. There were detailed instructions for the quarantine of lepers to keep them away from society. Lepers had to live outside the camp, excluded from the people of Israel, not allowed to come in. I think how terrible that would have been for a Jewish person not to be able to attend the synagogue not to be able to go into the temple courts, to be shunned and rejected by God's people and seen as cursed. Leprosy, actually, at the time of Jesus, a whole whole range of diseases were known as leprosy, some of which were likely to get better in due course. But actual leprosy, the leprosy we have today, if it was the same one as then, that's, that's incurable, was incurable at the time. And it's, leprosy is contagious, but only slightly contagious. But obviously the people of Jesus' time didn't understand mod, modern medicine, medical science. They believed it was highly contagious. And none of them would have wanted to risk any closeness or proximity to a leper. But worse than that, even, worse than the risk of contracting this awful disease, was this fear of being ritually and ceremonially defiled by leprosy. For the Jewish people, for the good Jew, to touch a leper was only slightly better than touching a dead body, touching a corpse. And we don't really understand that, do we, in our culture? But for them, it would have been a hideous and horrible and repulsive thing to touch a leper. They believed that that defilement was, was deeply contagious, highly contagious. Leprosy was actually one of the worst diseases. It, you know, other, other times Jesus heals people and they're described as being healed, but with leprosy it's described as being cleansed because it was seen as something which was deep inside a person's body. It defiled their very being. Lepers were known as the walking dead. They were dead men walking. The disease wasn't going to get better. It was going to get worse and worse and worse. Then they would die. They were pathetic, repulsive figures walking around in rags, excluded, shunned. And what's more, Jewish rabbis and teachers, you know, even Josephus tells us and other historians that people would mock lepers. And one rabbi even boasted he threw stones and rocks at lepers when he saw them. And cruelty towards lepers was very common. They were seen as cursed by God. They were despised and feared by people. So this disease was absolutely um, horrific, not just in terms of its physical effects, but the fact that it, it... excluded people from the people of God, these lepers from the people of God, the society, the the gathering, the fellowship of God's people. 
And worse than that, as I've already mentioned, it was permanent. Because at that time there was no cure. And this person, imagine if you were a leper, you had to face a lifetime, the prospect of never ever recovering from this disease. Getting worse and worse till it it ate away at your bones, till your, your fingers dropped off, whatever it was. Read those effects. And you knew you'd never be clean. And Leviticus tells us very clearly, tells the people at the time, you know, if you've got an infectious skin disease, you must not come inside the camp of God's people until you get better. And if you weren't going to get better because of your condition, then you'd never, ever be able to go inside the camp of God's people. You'd always be excluded and cursed until the day you died. It was painful, it was polluting, and it was permanent. It was a life sentence. People who were lepers were doomed in the eyes of men. But one day a leper approaches Jesus. What does he do? Well, first of all, he takes the opportunity. Verse 1. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said... Well, let's just leave it there for a minute. A man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus. When you think about it, the leper could have tried to deal with his condition in various ways, couldn't he? He could have tried to to treat the symptoms of his leprosy. So I don't know if they had any skin creams or lotions. He could have gone there, he could have rubbed all kinds of skin creams in there, but it wouldn't have actually stopped the disease ravaging him because the disease comes from within. You can treat the symptoms, but you can't eradicate the disease. The leper could have, on the other hand, he could have gone looking for for cures in other places, could have gone to the best doctors. I mean, I don't don't know if he would have been able to do that. It would have been expensive. The doctors would have shunned him. He could have gone there. It wouldn't have done him any good. The disease was incurable. Or he could have tried to live in denial, I suppose, as well. He could have said to everyone, I'm not a leper, I've got no leprosy, and deceive himself into believing that he was actually clean. But none of these solutions actually would have helped him at all. They wouldn't have delivered him from his condition. None of these would have saved him. The only thing he could do, the only thing he could think of to do, was to take the bold, audacious step of presenting himself before Jesus on the day he was passing through the districts. That man did not know whether there would be another opportunity. He made sure he took this opportunity while he could. He grabbed it with both hands. He went to Jesus. The second thing he did was that he believed in Jesus' ability to heal. He believed in the power of Jesus to heal. The leper doesn't believe that his condition is too severe for Jesus to be able to deal with it. Humanly speaking, it was impossible. But the leper believes, doesn't he, that the Lord Jesus can heal this. The leper makes this wonderful, beautiful statement of faith. Verse 2. What does he say? Lord, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He doesn't have any doubt, does he? He knows that the Lord Jesus is able to cleanse him from this disease. But there's more to this than meets the eye. It's a beautiful statement, it's a powerful statement, but there's more to it. If you read in 2 Kings chapter 5, the king of Aram sent his servant Naaman, the Syrian, to the king of Israel to be healed of his leprosy. So his his general, Naaman, had this this disease. It wasn't a new disease at the time of Jesus. The king of Aram sends his beloved general to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel is completely perplexed. He's, he doesn't know what to do. He says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? 
And we know, don't we, the prophet was able to help Naaman, send him to wash in the Jordan, and he was healed. But the king of Israel realized this is God's prerogative. The Jews believed that. Nobody else can deliver a person from leprosy except God alone. That was an ancient understanding at the time of Jesus. It was so hopeless that, raising, that cleansing a leper was akin, almost in their minds, to raising the dead. But the leper understood that as well. The leper at the time of Jesus, I believe he understood that. Only God can do this. He was so convinced about Jesus' ability to heal him, the only thing he questioned was whether Jesus was willing to do it. He placed such great faith in Jesus' abilities. I think it's very clear that this man understands something of who Jesus is. When you see these people in the Bible, who, in, in the time of Jesus, who express great faith for miracles, they're not just keen to get a miracle, to get a healing, or whatever it might be. There's a sense that they understand something of who Jesus is. They understand something of his nature. They understand this is no ordinary rabbi. It's not even a, a miracle worker. This is, this is someone very special divinely appointed and anointed as I said this morning I think they however however vague that understanding was and clouded it was that leper understood that this Jesus this Jesus has divine power he's sent by God the full authority of God with the anointing of God the power of God to do the things that only God can do and what's the third thing that he does well he throws himself at Jesus' mercy doesn't he came and knelt before Jesus. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Have you noticed this leper? He doesn't make any demands, does he? He doesn't come there in a sort of cocksure manner. He stands there completely pathetic, humanly speaking, repulsive, kneeling before Jesus, presenting himself in his condition. He doesn't try to offer any reasons why Jesus should do this. He doesn't try to pay him money. He doesn't offer a justification. He doesn't try to exonerate himself and say, well, you know, I haven't actually done anything to deserve this. What he does do is he presents himself. He falls there. He shouldn't have even been near Jesus. Lepers were supposed to stay away. He comes there, he presents himself, throws himself at Jesus' mercy. And I want you to notice this leper has this kind of attitude of humble, believing boldness. That's what I've called it. And... Throughout, time and time again, throughout the scriptures, we see Jesus rewards this kind of faith. Humble, believing boldness. It's not arrogant. It's not telling God what he should do or Jesus what he should do. It's not demanding things. But it's coming before him, presenting a problem, humbly, with respect, and trusting with this kind of boldness the Lord will respond to human need in some way. And I think we can learn from that. I think the, when we come to our prayer meetings, that should be the prevalent atmosphere amongst us, the attitude amongst us, humble, believing boldness. Not these kind of bombastic prayers that sometimes Christians pray, telling God what he should do, demanding things, but coming humbly before him, asking him to show us his will, and yet at the same time expecting him, because we know our God is good and kind and loving, and submitting to his will and saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can do this. If you are willing, you can do this. Please act according to your will and your purposes. That was his action. Thirdly, let's look at his salvation. What does Jesus do? 
Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now, we know, don't we, that Jesus didn't need to touch people to heal them. The centurion's servant, he wasn't even in, in his presence. He was somewhere else in the town. But Jesus takes the step of reaching out and touching this man that nobody else would have wanted to touch. And I think that was probably the, the first kind and loving touch this man had had for a long time. There's also a reason why Jesus does this. I think it shows his messianic uniqueness. Most people believe that they would be defiled ritually by touching a leper. By a leper touching them, that would make them polluted spiritually, unable to go into the presence of God's people. But Jesus does quite just the opposite, doesn't he? His touch, rather than him being defiled by the leper, his holy touch immediately frees that man from his leprosy and makes him clean. Jesus is the only person who can touch that man and not be defiled by him. And that's a, I think that's very special. And that's something that shows how unique Jesus is. He had no fear of touching that man or being in his proximity. He touches him and he's healed. And he speaks these words of comfort. He says, I am willing. He says, be clean. I think Mark's gospel tells us he was moved with compassion. He the word means it's talking about his bowels, his inner being. Jesus was moved in his inner being with compassion for this man. He saw his broken sufferer. He's touched. He says, I, I am willing. Be clean. A word is spoken. Isn't there power in the words of God, in Christ? Speaks a word, the universe comes into being. Speaks a word, a man is cleansed of his leprosy. And consider how his life was changed in that moment. First of all, he was no longer in pain. That had just completely gone in a second, in an instant. What a great blessing that would have been. Secondly, being cleansed of his leprosy meant that he was able to rejoin society. He was no longer a source of defilement and pollution. In one second, the curse, the stigma, the effects of leprosy, the physical effects, the social effects, the ceremonial effects were taken away and eradicated. What does Jesus do? Jesus instructs him to go and tell the priest. He says, don't go and tell all the crowds. What I was saying this morning, Jesus doesn't draw attention to himself. Go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. In Leviticus 14, the priests were the ones who had to certify that a person had recovered from a skin disease. And Jesus, in obedience to the law, sends this man away to go to the priest. And this was probably a way of him... Of the priest was the one who could certify that the man was clean and say this man is no longer a leper and he's able to rejoin society but to give him some kind of certificate to prove it. It was a good way of rehabilitating that man and making sure he could come back again into the assembly of God's people. I wanted to read to you <coughs> excuse me, Leviticus 14 verse 19. I haven't really looked into this too much, but I wanted to mention this to you. Leviticus 14, verse 19, is talking about this, this system of cleansing um, lepers, people with skin diseases. Then the priest is to sacrifice the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from his uncleanliness. After that, the priest shall slaughter the burnt offering, etc., etc. 
and offer it on the altar together with a grain offering and make atonement for him and he will be clean. I thought it was interesting that Leviticus talks about a sacrifice of atonement being made on behalf of the one who'd been cleansed of his disease. And as Christians, we can't fail to think, can we, of our, our great sacrifice of atonement. You know, Jesus on that cross, you know, Jesus was to give his own life to deliver his people, to take upon himself the curses and the, the punishment, the, the, the judgment, the sin and diseases and all these things, the curses and, and its consequences upon himself on that cross as a sacrifice of atonement. So in a sense, I believe, when he died on that cross, he was taking upon himself the leper and his curse and his sins, along with with all the other sins of all his other people, um, then and now. Jesus was stricken and excluded and cut off for the sake of his people, that they might be brought into the covenant blessings, into the kingdom. And this man was permanently cleansed. What had seemed like a life sentence or a death sentence, whatever you, however you want to look at it, it had been revoked. It had been changed. It had been cancelled by Jesus. And after that, he could live a healthy, new, positive life as God intended. What can we draw from this as Christian people? Well, as I said, we don't have any lepers here. I hope not anyway. If you're a leper, you need to seek treatment which is available. But as we know as Christians, don't we, every human being ever born suffers with a far worse affliction than leprosy. And it's far more devastating and far more dangerous and far more widespread. Godly men have called leprosy, called sin, the leprosy of the soul. What does sin do to us? It spiritually defiles us, doesn't it? It prevents us from coming into the presence of God. brings us under a curse, a curse that we actually came under when we were born, the moment we were born. It cuts us off from fellowship of God's people. If we're still in our sin, we can't, we can't have meaningful spiritual fellowship with the people of God. We're excluded in that sense. What does sin do to us? Like leprosy, it ravages us, it defiles us, it spoils us, it ruins us, it pollutes us. It pollutes every part of our lives, body, soul, and spirit. There's not a part of us that's not polluted and contaminated by sin in some way. Total depravity. And worse than that, it, it, it contaminates others around us as well. Think about how your actions, our sinful actions, can affect others and defile them and cause them to sin. And sin leaves us under a death sentence. With humanly speaking, no hope of a cure. There is no hope of a cure for sin apart from what we know to be true as Christians. People can look in all sorts of other places. They can look at other religions. They can look at good deeds and good works. Whatever it might be, it's like a leper trying to rub skin cream into his leprosy. It's not going to cleanse him. And the destination which sin leads to, the leprosy of the soul, is permanent exclusion from God's people and being cut off outside the camp, never being able to come in again forever, for all eternity, on the judgment day. And very sadly, many people who don't deal with this will find out that they are shut out and excluded where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where there's great suffering and anguish, and all because they wouldn't turn. What a terrible predicament this is. And yet, the dangerous thing about sin is that it can be, unlike leprosy, no, you can't hide leprosy, it's so obvious. But sin can be concealed, concealed from other people, concealed from ourselves. We can live in denial, can't we? 
hide the truth of our condition from ourselves and from other people. Recently I was talking to one of my neighbours and um, nice man, I like this man very much. And this man is, seems to me like a model citizen. He's good, well off, he's upstanding, probably pays his taxes. Good neighbours to us, doting grandparents. Talk to this man, he talks about his holidays, he talks about his family and all the other things that occupy his days and his mind. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But I look at this man and I wish and I pray that he would have some sense of his spiritual need. It comes across to me, I don't know what's going on in his heart, there may be a work of God going on, it seems to me that he's just totally self-satisfied with his life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Spirit of God began to work in him so that he began to be concerned about his spiritual condition, that he began to feel his guilt in the sight of a holy God, that he's, like all of us, broken his laws, stands guilty with a great big finger saying, you're guilty, you're condemned. That finger that points at every single human being that's not had their sins washed away by Christ. These people need the cleansing touch of Jesus. They need the work that only he can do. Dear friends, cleansing doesn't just happen. That leper had to come to Jesus. He had to seek him. He believed in him. And we too must, if we haven't done it, we must take action to seek Jesus. Our friends who are lost must take action to seek him. Too many people hear the gospel and let the opportunity pass them by. While, while a person's still alive, there's still a chance that they can turn and believe. It's never too late until you breathe your final breath. After that, it's too late. But in my, in my opinion, it's, it's possible to miss an opportune time. That man had Jesus coming through his town. He took the opportunity, he went to him, he threw himself at his mercy, and he was saved. Why do people wait and put it off? Sometimes we see people around, around the gate seem to be so close, showing interest in spiritual things, and something takes them away again. They lose interest and go back into the world, and that opportunity is snatched away. It's not too late for these people. They might come back at a future date. But this is something to be grabbed with both hands. People sit on the fence for so long. The Lord Jesus is offering a person cleansing from sin and from exclusion and from judgment, and people waver and are not sure, and is it the right thing for me? Take it with both hands. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't come when you feel the Lord speaking to you, the chances are you'll lose interest and get distracted by the world and go away and you'll forget all about it and before long you've missed the chance. Like the leper, we must believe that Jesus has the power to heal us, heal us from sin. We must throw ourselves at his mercy. The cry of a sinner must be the same as the leper. And if you're a Christian here, at one point in your life, in some way, you've cried this out to the Lord Jesus. Lord, if you're willing, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You might not have said it in those words. You might have said it in a church somewhere as you prayed, as you heard the word, as you felt the spirit of God moving upon your heart, convicting you. You might have prayed it in your bedroom somewhere. You might have prayed it in, I don't know, in a pub as you sat there drunk. However it was, you came to, the, to Christ. There was a time when somewhere you cried out, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I, I know I'm filthy. I know I've sinned against you. I know I've broken your law. I'm utterly repugnant and defiled before you. I've got not, not a leg to stand on. Nothing in my hands I bring at all. 
nothing to offer you. There's no reason why you should save me except that you are gracious and you save sinners like me and you've promised to do so. And dear friends, there's no doubt that a person who prays that sincerely cries out to the Lord Jesus for cleansing. There's no doubt the Lord will fail. Well, there's no doubt the Lord will hear that prayer and answer that prayer and say, I am willing, be clean. And that is a promise in God's word. We don't have to doubt whether the Lord will answer. We know because he's promised us in his word. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I'll never, never turn away. I am willing. He's always willing to cleanse the sinner from their sin. What was that song we sang? The vilest offender who truly believes. That moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. You know, I know this is controversial. Adolf Hitler himself or Stalin or any of those men had repented and put their trust in Jesus, they would have been washed clean of all their crimes and sins. And when a sinner believes in the Lord Jesus and trusts in him as a saviour, as Messiah, all that filth, all that moral corruption, all that guilt, that curse of sin is washed away permanently. The person is cleansed, given a new heart. That person is welcomed into the presence of God and his people. And both your status and your nature are changed. You're no longer a sinner. You're, you're justified. You're legally declared clean and righteous before God. But also your very nature is changed. Like the leper, inwardly there's a change inside of you. And you're cleansed from within from the effects of sin. <coughs> the salvation of a soul is an outstanding miracle. I talked to my Chinese friend yesterday. He said, I, I believe in Jesus if I see a miracle. Otherwise I can't believe the greatest miracle, I believe, is not even raising the dead. You know, that would be a great miracle. The greatest miracle is raising a dead soul, a corrupted, polluted soul, raising them to new life and cleansing them. And that, dear friends, is something that only God can do. That's his prerogative. He's got the power to do it. He's willing to do it. The question is, are people willing to be cleansed? Or would they rather go anywhere else to try and be cleansed? I want to remember today the compassion of the Lord Jesus, how he rewards that humble faith, the cry of a sinner, the cry of a desperate man. I want to remember the cross of Jesus Christ that made all this possible. So we've run out of time. We're not going to go into the centurion's servant, but let's pray for a few minutes and then Chris will come. (coughs)